Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The word of the Lord. We're in our series here at Christ Church Vienna, if you're with us for the first time this week, and our series in sermons is the vision and values of the church. Our vision and value statement is this, we are a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family Anglican mission for Vienna, Virginia. And specifically today and next week, we're looking at the aspect that is to be an externally focused church. When we talk about that, we use words like being outward-facing people. We use a term that's used in church circles, which is being missional, others-focused, outwardly focused. We recognize, as we've talked about the importance of the gospel, we recognize that we all need gospel transformation. And so we want gospel transformation for ourselves and for everyone around us. And towards that end, we want to be involved in the lives of the people around us. Spending time with them at work, in our neighborhoods, at school, investing in their lives and being a part of them. And ultimately, we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ, our hope for salvation. That external focus is what drove me to want to start this church, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people that had never heard it and to be a church for people who had never been a part of one. But it wasn't always so for me. Not too many years back, I was working at a church, and after a few years working at that church, you know what I found? Every single person I knew was inside that church. All my social circles, all my friendships. You see, I worked at a church. I went to church on Sundays. My friendships began to be with the people inside that church, and so the things I did for fun on the weekends were with those people in the church. A few years in, and the only thing I knew were people inside of a church. I began to pray, God, change my heart and my thinking so that I would even care about somebody who doesn't go to this church. And a few months later, I needed to get a second job. So I started working mornings at Starbucks and pretty soon found myself from five to nine in the morning with people who did not like church very much, weren't a part of one or had left them a long ago. And I was friends with them and developed friendships with them. One guy, this big burly guy with tattoos, came over to me one time during my off hour when I was reading the Bible, preparing for a sermon, and he said, what are you reading? And I said, oh, it's the Bible. Here, sit down, read it. He sat down, read it, and the two of us talked about the book of Romans for a little while. He took that Bible home, read the Gospel of Luke, and the next day we talked about it some more. A few months later, when his brother fell out of a fire escape and ended up in the intensive care unit, it was me he called. When I moved to England, he called, having shown up in England, saying, hey, I've come to stay for a few days. (laughs) 
And not too long ago, I celebrated his wedding. Simply stepping outside of the boundaries of this church building and engaging the lives of others developed a deep discipleship friendship that wouldn't have existed for him or for me if I hadn't left the confines of the church building. You know, now, now I want everyone to know and experience Jesus as God and Savior. I, I, that's what I'm here for, okay? Every time I'm somewhere, it's because I want somebody to know more about God. He has changed my life, and I want him to change yours. That seems to be a mindset that's a little bit more like Jesus in our passage than like the Pharisees that were confronting him. In our passage, Jesus is seen as the externally focused one, and the Pharisees are a little bit upset at what he's doing. The passage that we're, that we're looking at is Luke 15. And it's in Luke 15 that Jesus tells three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons. You might know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But the context is important for these parables. The context is this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They were all drawing near to Jesus. Now we've talked about tax collectors and sinners here. In these passages, they're represented in the parable of the prodigal son by that prodigal son, the younger brother who leaves everything. It's the outsiders to the religious center of Judaism. They were those who didn't follow the moral or religious rules of the day. Today, we would talk about it as those people who simply don't believe in God or aren't sure what to do with God. People like a lot of my friends who have simply left the church, who, if I asked them, would probably consider themselves outsiders. These are the people who were drawing near to Jesus. Think about it. These were the sorts of people who were intrigued by and attracted to Jesus. The average tax collector and sinner would have avoided the Pharisees at all costs, These people didn't avoid Jesus. Nor did they think that he's irrelevant, much like many people think churches and Christians are today. In fact, they drew near, why? To hear him. They wanted to hear what this Jesus had to say. And what did Jesus say to these tax collectors and sinners? The same thing he said to everyone else, which was actually a very harsh and narrow message. Jesus went around saying, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully. He takes the commandments and digs them further in and says, it's not just your outward actions that I'm after, it's your motivations, why you do them. Jesus called people to repent, to confess their sinfulness, not to do whatever they wanted. The woman caught in adultery He did turn things on the Pharisees and say, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But then what did he say to the woman? Go and sin no more. Time and again, Jesus pointed to himself with a very difficult message when he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus was claiming audaciously to be the way to know God. He was claiming to be God. And yet, these tax collectors and sinners wanted to be with him. 
Because in the midst of it, he was presenting a gospel of grace. A message that all people, all people need the salvation that he had come to offer. And yet, it's available to all people. Not just to the religious insiders. Not just to the morally perfect. God's love and salvation is for everyone. Outsiders were continually intrigued and attracted by Jesus. It's the outsiders who time and again connect with Jesus, and it's the religious who don't. In Luke 7, it's the sinful woman who's weeping and washing Jesus' feet with her hair who connects to Jesus, and it's Simon the Pharisee who is hosting the party who does not. In Luke 18 and 19, it's the rich young ruler who followed all the rules who can't quite seem to connect to Jesus. And it's Zacchaeus, the tax collector and swindler, who does connect. In John 3, Nicodemus, the religious leader, can't quite make sure what to do with this Jesus. And in John 4, a chapter later, it's the Samaritan woman at the well, a sinner who is the outcast among outcasts, who meets Jesus, connects to him, and is transformed. Outsiders continually drew near, were connected to, and transformed by Jesus. So, are the non-religious and outsiders drawn to us? What, What maybe gets in the way? In the book Unchristian, written a couple years ago by David Kinneman, who's the president of the Barna Research Group, Kinneman catalogs the common perceptions of outsiders to Christians and Christianity. He specifically looks at Gen X and Gen Y, roughly those 50 or under, and why they have what their perceptions are towards Christians and Christianity. And by and large, the uh, surveys found that there was negative perceptions of Christians and Christianity. Some of the common things that came up were this. Christians are insincere. They only want to be friends to convert me. Christians are prideful. They are quick to find fault in others. Christians are hypocritical, which goes for itself. In my past... I would say that that actually defined me for a season of my life. And I think that that defined me because, for me, I did not fully grasp the gospel of grace. And I understood my status before God on the basis of my religious and moral performance. So I was trying to avoid sin and read the Bible and show up at church-type events. And the more I did that, the better I felt about myself. But the result of this performance-oriented Christianity is that I was naturally going to be comparing myself to others, which meant I was going to be judgmental of fellow Christians who weren't quite as strong as me, and I would naturally tend to avoid contamination and therefore avoid certain people. I saw this, unfortunately, not long ago when I went to my high school reunion. And throughout the night, time and again, people who I knew in high school apologized to me for things they said or were doing that very night. Now, part of me could say, well, 
my very presence was so holy that it convicted them. (laughs) But in all likelihood, what were they doing? They were taking the image of me from high school as somebody who would naturally be judgmental and try to avoid them. And they were applying it to the present situation. It broke my heart that that was what I had left them with the image of what Christianity was about. So what, what might facilitate the non-religious being drawn to us? Two things that don't often typify Christians in the church. One is humility. Humility. And the other is selflessness. But in order to be truly humble, we need a gospel of grace, not of performance. The gospel of grace says that we are all sinners. We all fall short. We are all lost, which means I can't look out at this room or any room in the world and think of myself as better than others. And because it's by grace, it's not me and my intelligence that got me to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not my goodness that met God halfway. It's all God, all the time, always. Which means I'm not any better than anyone else. I am simply one dumb lost sheep that happened to be picked up. And so are you. Humility comes from that gospel of grace. The other side that might actually open people up to wanting to be around us is selflessness. Instead of insincerity or hypocrisy, it would be a genuine and committed love and concern for others. If we truly love God and have experienced the love of God, it will result in loving others. That's the amazing thing, is that when you've been grasped by the love of God, it increases your love for others. That selflessness and sacrificial concern should typify us. The Pharisees, though, they are not sure what to do with Jesus, so they accuse him. It says the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, which is a way of talking about public accusation, saying this man, this Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. That word receive there is actually a, uh, a cognate word. It's putting together two words. It's the word receive along with a preposition, which basically means really receive. And so instead of just welcome or receive, like, hey, come on in, it is to accept into fellowship. It's to welcome them into your life. And of course, as we've talked about here before, that's the same thing with the accusation of eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Because eating was sacramental, it was covenantal, it was contractual. When you ate with somebody, it was a way of establishing the relationship or confirming the relationship with them. So the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of what? They're actually accusing Jesus of being friends with these people. Think about how profound that is. Jesus developed friendships, deep committed, loving friendships with tax collectors and sinners, with religious outsiders and the morally suspect. Friendship was and is Jesus' master plan for spreading his gospel and kingdom all over the world. So what do we do? 
to be externally focused? Pretty basically, we learn to be friends with people. (laughs) Think about how friendship develops, right? Friendships develop, they actually start with common interests and personalities. So you and another person have something in common. Like, you like choral music and so do they. You like sushi and so do they. You have a dark sense of humor and so do they. But that friendship builds through time, time together and over the course of time. You work with them and see them every day, or you're in class with them and you see them over the course of years. And eventually that friendship develops into not just work or class or team, but into free time, intentionally getting, going out of your way to spend time with this person. And the great thing about friendships is when it becomes a real and deep friendship, it's no longer about the common interest. You don't need the sushi or the football. You just want to be with them. You enjoy them. You want to experience them. Their idiosyncrasies, their snorting laughter, their nerdiness. You love them. And we all know what that's like. Friendship at its root is being accepted. When you're with a a true friend, you can be silly around them in a way that it's not acceptable at work. When you're with a good friend, you can even be grumpy in a way that you would never do inside of a church. There's no fronts when you're with your friends. If your friend comes over and you're in your pajamas, it's okay. And when you walk into a good friend's house and you want a drink, you simply go to the fridge and get out a soda. You have refrigerator privileges with them and they with you. Friendship is being known. When your friends know you and you know them, the fears and loves and the deepest desires of our hearts are obvious with each other. And a simple phrase with an old friend conjures up a whole story and all the laughter that's behind it. So you and a couple friends are together and you say, remember the chicken mask? And if everyone just starts laughing, because of course they remember the chicken mask. It was crazy, idiotic, and hilarious. Friendship is being accepted and being known. It's being vulnerable and committed and selfless. When we are with our friends, we're almost more fully human, more like what we are meant to be, more fully ourselves. This is what Jesus was doing with tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus chose friendship to develop his disciples, and he used friendship to reveal himself to tax collectors and sinners. Friendship was his method. If Jesus were here in 21st century America instead of in 1st century Palestine, where would he go? Well, Jesus certainly would have gone as he did back then. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he went to the temple on holy days. But where did Jesus spend most of his time and with whom? If Jesus was here today, in 21st century America, he probably would be at a church service on a Sunday morning. He might even be here from 10 to 11.30 on Sunday. But then where would he go? Where would he spend the rest of his time? He'd be with people outside 
of this place. He'd go to the Vienna Inn, and he'd go to the mall, and Cafe Amori, and Jam and Java for a concert, and to a game at the high school on Friday night. I bet Jesus, if he was around today, would be the sort of guy who at work was invited to happy hour. The sort of guy that in his neighborhood, the other guys invited to poker night. And the craziest thing is, I bet he would go. He'd love to be with them. Remember, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of sinners. Christ Church Vienna exists for those who are not yet here or in any church. But how hard is it for somebody who feels like an outsider to enter a church? You know, I've talked to some friends who came over the past year and didn't feel like insiders, and they said it was incredibly difficult. There's a lot of insider language that we have. What is communion? Why am I wearing this? Why does everyone sing? When are you supposed to stand up, close your eyes, put your hands together, put your hands up? It's like Simon says, without an instructor. As I was talking to Matt about this a few weeks ago, I thought the only equivalent that I could come to about how hard it would be for an outsider to enter a church service is if a a friend invited me to go to a biker bar. Now, if a friend came to me and said, hey, there's this great biker bar in Hagerstown, you should come, I would be hesitant. I would probably say no. If he kept going, I might decide to go with him. But how anxious would I be going to a biker bar? I would think, what do I wear? I mean, I've got some hiking boots and blue jeans, but that's more fitting for REI than a biker bar, right? I'm not even sure what I'm going to talk about. Do I pretend like I know what a motorcycle is? I've never been on one. Oh, hey, yeah, I love the sound of a Harley. It's a pretty cool sound. After that, I'm done. How awkward. I mean, what are they going to think? They're going to know I'm an outsider right from the beginning. What do you say to them at the biker bar? What are you supposed to do? Where do you stand? What do you wear? How do I know? That's how bizarre it is for many people to enter a church. So if our church is simply trying to get people to come in here, we have to realize it's like going to a biker bar. It's incredibly weird. It's one of the reasons why we do things like wear name tags at Christ Church Vienna, because I don't want somebody to come here and feel like I, I should be known. Everybody should know my name. It's why we try to explain things as often as we can. Look, we are going to worship God, and we're going to do it in an Anglican context, but it doesn't have to be nonsensical. And we want to give people the freedom to to ask questions and to figure it out. We want to be humble and loving and not simply assume that everyone has prior knowledge. Not assume that everyone who shows up at your small group has read the Bible five times through. To be an externally focused church is to be people who are with people who aren't in any church. Involved in their lives, developing deep, loving, committed friendships. And not pointing them to Christ Church Vienna, but pointing them to Jesus, revealing Jesus.
And even one way that I like to think about it is like this. We're all, in a sense, on a journey. And somewhere along the way, I came to faith in Christ, right? So I passed over from, as the Bible talks about it, from death to life. I came to faith in Jesus. But here I am on this, on this journey towards eternity. I don't know where anyone else in this room stands. You might be over here. You might be out the door. You might be years ahead of me on this journey. All I know is I want all of us to go that way. And so whether I am pulling people or pushing people or having you push me or pull me, I want us to be going that way. And so I look to develop friends with people and say, let's go this way and help me to go this way. And I want more of that. And let me show you more of that. And let's all go that way. I have no idea where you are. I just know, let's go this way. Developing friendships with people and pointing them to Jesus, regardless of whether you think they know or don't, doesn't really matter. So why? Why do this? Why make friends? Why be externally focused? Why point people to Jesus? Because as Jesus makes clear, every one of us is lost. Everyone needs to be found. Jesus tells the parable, if one of you, if one of you has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, what does he do? He goes to find him. You know, it's interesting in the wording that Jesus uses here, it's very un-Middle Eastern. In Middle Eastern idiom and thinking, you don't drop the pen or miss the train or lose your sheep. It's the other way around. The pen fell from my hands. The train left without me. My sheep got lost. Jesus intentionally throws that upside down and says, if you have lost your sheep, He's referencing Ezekiel 34, where God pronounces judgment on the leaders of Israel for losing the sheep, for not seeking and finding them. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you have lost the tax collectors and sinners. Is the church any different? In Unchristian, David Kinnaman records that most outsiders to Christianity have a large amount, an enormous amount of firsthand experience with Christians and Christianity. One in five, one in five who consider themselves an outsider have had a bad experience in a church or with a Christian that gave them a negative view of Jesus Christ. In other words, the majority of people who don't really believe in God, who don't go to church in this country, most outsiders are not unchurched, they're de-churched. They've left the building because we have lost them. But the good shepherd seeks those who are lost until he finds them and he carries the sheep home. Jesus 
is actually finishing the prophecy of Ezekiel 34, where God pronounces judgment on the leaders of Israel and then says, but I will come. I will come as the good shepherd and I will seek my lost sheep and bring them home. Jesus is showing himself to be the good shepherd. He's saying, I have come as God, the good shepherd, to seek and rescue and return all of the lost sheep home. Think about what Jesus is doing here. In this parable, he's giving us a picture of the gospel. He's calling us to repent, to believe, and to rejoice. Jesus is redefining repentance and saving faith as the need to, be, need to accept being found. Think about it this way. Repentance is not meeting God halfway. It's not proving yourself to him. In the parable, the lost sheep doesn't get unlost, start on its journey home, so that the shepherd says, okay, you can come back in. Repentance is admitting lostness and receiving the arms of the shepherd when he comes. Think about the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to believe in what the good shepherd has done. At great cost to himself in the parable, the shepherd leaves his home, seeks, rescues, and returns the lost sheep. What does this tell us? It tells us God loves lost sheep. Which means God loves you. No matter how lost you feel, God loves you desperately and will do anything to return you home. And that's the gospel message. The gospel message is God has left his home at great cost to himself to rescue us. Believe that. And finally, rejoice. Jesus says in summation, to summarize the whole parable, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You catch Jesus' ironic humor there? Over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance? No such thing exists. There are not people who don't need repentance. Everything else that Jesus has ever said is that we all are unrighteous and all need repentance. We are all lost sheep. It's not just one. It's 100. We all need to be found and rescued and returned home. So will we accept being found and rescued by Jesus? And if so, if so, then the rescue and return of lost sheep will be our greatest desire and our deepest joy. And we will be externally focused people. Let's pray. Jesus, we need 
you to seek us. We need rescue and return. Forgive us as a church and as Christians for losing lost sheep, for acting more like Pharisees and less like Jesus. And give us a heart after your heart, one of humility and selflessness, to be friends who love and point people to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing. Amazing grace.